The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. You know, if you all keep asking great questions, we're going to have to keep answering them. And that's what we're doing this week. This is your own fault. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. This is Alex, and I'm here with my trusted companion, Wade Fa. Wade, thank you for joining us today. So happy to have you. Absolutely. Is that your Terry Gross from NPR <laughs> impersonation? <laughs> well, all things Sorry, considered, all things considered, that is a good comment. No. I was just trying to be more. Delilah on the light FM stations. <laughs> the quiet storm. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just trying to be, I was trying to center myself. And then I realized after the first two words, I was like, man, <laughs> sounds kind of odd. Let me go with it and see what Wade says. Uh, but. Today, uh, we will be, thank you for joining, and we'll be continuing with our Q&A session, which was, I would think, a rousing success. Well, it depends on our answers, I guess, but (laughs) based on the questions, (laughs) it's been a a, a great success. I think it's given us a lot of fuel for future episodes and, you know, part of uh, the content pieces that we can create throughout the year. Uh, Wade, thoughts? Yeah, and like I was saying in the past episode, it's always great to get these questions because it helps us understand better like where the concerns are or where we might be not explaining something the way we thought we were or just new ideas, new... Some of the times I learn new material because I get a question I don't know the answer to and have to look it up. And, and so it's great to hear your questions. And and we've probably got another few episodes still on just answering questions that came yeah. in for that live Q&A. And wait, how many times do you learn something just by listening to my answers as well? <laughs> I have to look back and see if I could find an example. <laughs> I'm going to need the chapstick again. Oh, and and <laughs> please write in. We were debating. We had a little friendly debate. It's it's you know winner right. And I'm in the camp where I put like a one of these chapstick things in every pocket that I have. Obviously, you know, when you wash your clothes, you take them out, et cetera, because I lose so many of them and I just put them in everyone. And it, that is my sort of how I soothe <laughs> that anxiety of, of being out of pocket with, with, without chapstick. Wait, what do you do? It's just completely the opposite. Well, you were saying it was your OCD that you need yeah, my 10 OCD. chapsticks at a time. And I, to the extent I have any OCD, it's more I don't want to be using more than one at a time. I'd want to make sure I use one down entirely before opening a new one. So I, I don't know. It's like a different version of OCD. Well, I'm more profligate, I guess. Uh, you're, you're, you're saving more, the world. You're saving the world. <laughs> miserly. No, no, no. You're just uh, probably... <laughs> efficient not wasting chapstick <laughs> it's just i lose so many of them so, same thing with like gloves i just put gloves in like the two a couple of main jackets that i use and, and off we go so wait did uh, i heard santa came uh, this morning to your house and dropped something off <laughs> 
Yes, what, I had a very happened? nice gift that arrived overnight. <laughs> <laughs> I've not opened the package yet, but uh, I know what's in it. <laughs> from you, and it's a, a new next generation, next step. It's a pull-up bar that I'm going to have to figure out <laughs> how to install and start doing pull-ups. There we go. For you and Joseph. You and Joseph. Yes. <laughs> we we have uh, we're doing a little challenge within uh, the Risa company behind behind the scenes where we're going to see if we can double up our, our, our pull-up counts. So, Wade, where, where do you think you're by right now? Well, the last time I was at a playground at the park and just tried, I did get three pull-ups in without effort. I didn't try to do a fourth one, but I don't know. I, I haven't, it's probably been six months since I did a pull-up. So oh, so was, did, you, were, did you have your shirt on when you did them, or did you take off your shirt in the kids' playground, do a couple of pull-ups, <laughs> and then you were escorted out of the <laughs> yes, right. out of the property? A lot of time hanging out at children's playgrounds. <laughs> no, I think and I'm I had by, a child I, with me at the time, so oh, I was a okay. Good, good, good. Uh, I thank you for throwing that in there by the way <laughs> and a legitimate reason to be there no I, I think i did uh no i just did it right now before we started just to see what it would be i'm at seven so i'm, I'm a legit okay. seven right wow. now no kipping we'll see if we can double that up by when did trevor say end of february that's what he was saying okay there we go so we'll do that and just so i have you on record push-ups what are we gonna what are we gonna commit to yeah, <laughs> still the dream is to do 100 a day. Right now, it's more like 15 or 20 a day, but we'll see. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Back up. There we go. What part of we are we talking about here? <laughs> you and me? Or, oh. <laughs> You're already doing the, it. So. The royal we. There we go. All right. So uh, off we go. It's to a healthy 2024, everyone. And now for your financial health, we have some questions du jour. Yeah. You want to rip the first one off? Sure. And and so in this episode, they're all different random topics still, but because uh, this was actually what we were originally planning to use for the live <laughs> session. Some but, uh, bagged with questions that were live. In, in subsequent episodes, we may have more theme-based questions where we put together on the same theme. But yeah, the, the first one kind of from the grab bag here. Uh, but real, real quick, because you said, you got to remember, we, we have day jobs, so we just literally look at these. There's not a lot of prep, so <laughs> I don't know how, how much time we're going to be able to organize them, but we'll try. <laughs> no, I did that yesterday. <laughs> no, but I mean, in, in topics. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, the first one is kind of a withdrawal rate question. And so it's one of the themes that we hear about. So I have $10 million of liquid assets. Now, that, that's not me personally. Uh, and a fully yeah, you paid have home. more. You have more, buddy. <laughs> okay. So, so $10, million, $10 million portfolio and a fully paid home. Plan to retire in five years and will probably save an additional $1.5 million before that time. Uh, we owe, we're going to be paying $500,000 for college educations. So with all that... They project to get at retirement without any investment growth with one point or 11, 11 million dollars without any investment growth. Currently spending $300,000 a year. What should our expected spend be in retirement, assuming we don't have any other income other than Social Security? Well, that's there are a lot of simplifying assumptions we're going to have to make here because we obviously don't know the life story or 
you know, what their like streaming bundle looks like <laughs> and stuff like that. You, you want to yeah, maybe talk about some of the simplifying assumptions we're going to have to make? Well, for one thing we don't know is if that $300,000 included tax payments or not. Because if, if that's kind of net of taxes, you do have to add any tax payments on top of that. But, but simply, they shouldn't have any problem continuing to spend $300,000 a year, even without any investment growth. Uh, 300000 divided by, one point, or, sorry, by 11 million is a 2.7% withdrawal rate, which where interest rates are right now is, yeah. in, in past years when interest rates were incredibly low, that, that might be a better guess of what a good withdrawal rate would be. But in today's interest rate environment, that's a pretty conservative withdrawal rate. And that's not even counting the Social Security yet. So with Social Security also added on that, you can spend even more. We just don't know whether or not we also have to add taxes on top of that, which could be the only kind of constraint there. But if they want to spend more than 300000 they probably have some flexibility to do so. First, yeah, I'd like to add a couple of just things to think about here. Are you interested in adoption? Because I, <laughs> I, I, I think we can we can do a reverse thing here. Uh, no, air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, uh, first of all, congratulations. You know, it, it's 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 a good problem to have, obviously. So, uh, Mazel tov. Uh, that being the case, just some things to think about. Because obviously we, we don't know your budget or we don't know your goals and because you can always spend, you know, as much money as you have. Right. So subject to that, that's the caveat. But in terms of thinking about spending in retirement, I think folks, you know, view these spending rules and think, OK, let's just say it's I need 100 grand and I'm going to have to peg that to inflation every year. So 100 grand first year, 102,000 the second year, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then they, they, they line it out and figure out how much that is. That's not how spending happens in retirement. It, it's not linearly going up like that. What usually happens is on a real, real-time spending basis, it goes down. It's not linear on the downside either. But if you look at it after the entire retirement horizon, you're going to see probably a decrease of 2% spending in real returns, in real money. So you don't really need to always spend more and more and more and more and more. It actually goes the other way around. and But it doesn't go the other way around linearly. There's that U-shaped curve, that sort of, that spending smile that we all speak about where at the beginning of retirement, life is good. Let's let's go to Morocco. Let's do all these things. You know, Then it goes down simply because there's only so much you can do. You get older. There's You're limited in your physical capacity to do things. And it's just the normal course of things. And then towards the end of life, it, it spikes up again for healthcare reasons. But you don't need to think about your spending as you're trying to conceptualize this is that, that okay, I need $300,000 because that's what I'm spending down now. And every year I need to get a little cola bump to that. And I need to project that out for 35 years. That, that's just not how life works. Again, it's that you see a spending smile. The other, and if you average it out, it's it goes down about 2% in real terms every year. Uh, that being the case, you can think about it in terms of replacement ratios. Now, that's not something that, and Wade, maybe you can talk about this right after, but that's not something I would say hardcore economists love because it, it doesn't take into account consumption smoothing. But a replacement ratio is if I'm spending 100, if I'm making 100 grand a year and that's what I'm using 
to fund my living and I'm able to slot into a standard of living that I can, I, I can deal with, then uh, when you retire, because you're not, you're not uh, spending as much anymore, you're, you're not saving for retirement. So, you know, if you're contributing 15% of your salary in retirement accounts, that's no longer needed, right? If you're at a job where you had to drive to it, you had to have a certain sort of dress wear for it, you're going out to lunch all the time with friends for lunch, you know, those are things that disappear effectively. You, you, you also aren't paying as much in taxes because you're not working as much. So that's where the concept of replacement ratio comes in. And what does that look like? It varies. Obviously, results vary, right? I've seen it in, broken down into quartiles where at the highest quartile, you're looking at about low 80s replacement ratio. At the lowest quartile, you're looking at something where your expenses end up being like 60% you know, of what your salary was. And so if you want to begin to ballpark it, shoot for some number like that between 60 and 80, run a budget, see how that works. But when you budget it out, know that it's you don't need this consistent upswing. You, you, you may have some milestone goals that are big ticket items, but for the most part, for the everyday, you're actually going to see a decrease over time. Wait. Yeah, and probably where that's most relevant in this example is just the $500,000 estimated for college kind of deduced from that. There must be some children living in the household at this point. Uh, if, if they're thinking they're going to pay full in full at a private university, maybe that means two children. If they're estimating something less per year, maybe they have more than two children. Uh, but once those children leave the household, you're not going to be spending as much, especially teenagers, as I'm learning, uh, have expensive grocery bills associated with them and so forth. And so if you're spending 300000 right now, a chunk of that is just paying for expenses related to child rearing that will go away. And that would be a reason why the, the natural replacement rate is not going to be 100% so that you may not even necessarily want to spend 300000 But if you're if there are things you want to spend on so that you want to get that spending up, yeah, there's that's where back to my initial point of you're looking at a 2.7% withdrawal rate right now, and that's completely reasonable in the, the current market environment. Uh, and as Alex was alluding to, the, the idea of the 4% rule concept assumes you increase spending every year for inflation. If your spending naturally declines in inflation-adjusted terms, uh, that can allow a higher initial withdrawal rate. And so that would make 2.7% even more conservative as an estimate of the initial withdrawal rate in retirement. All right. Next question. All right. All right. Next question is, I've decided to delay claiming Social Security until age 70. If I become deceased prior to age 70, can my wife maximize her survival benefits by claiming her survival benefits until... I would have reached age 70. Um, yeah, and I think with the to be completely literal about the way the question is worded, the answer is going to be no. The, there's no, it's not about the wife waiting until you would have reached age 70 mm-hmm. or anything like that. The way the survivor benefits calculated, if you haven't claimed yet, so if you pass away before full retirement age, the uh, survivor benefit would be linked to the, the value of full retirement age. If you're older than full retirement age and you're planning to claim at 70 and say you pass away at age 68, their survivor benefit would be linked to 
what you would have gotten if you claimed at the, the date of death. So basically your age 68 benefit would translate into the survivor benefit. And that's how it, it's going to be if the survivor claims at their full retirement age. Now, survivor benefits do not have delay credits. So there's no reason to claim a survivor benefit after full retirement age. You, you don't get those delay credits. That's maybe something that might be a little surprising. But the other interesting aspect of survivor benefits is Unlike spousal benefits, you can file a restricted application where you can say, I just want my own worker benefits. I don't want the survivor benefits yet. Or you can say, I just want my survivor benefit. I don't want the my own worker benefit yet. And so what that allows for, for the survivor in this scenario, if your survivor benefit would be bigger than your own worker benefit, you could claim your worker benefit early. And then when you reach full retirement age, claim that survivor benefit. Because again, there's no point in waiting past 70 to claim the survivor benefit. It's not going to increase beyond your full retirement age. Can you say that last part again, Wade, so everyone hears that? Yeah, if the survivor benefit is bigger than your own worker benefit, claim your own benefit early, maybe age 62, unless you're working anyway, and there's it's all going to be taken away with the earnings test. But then uh, at full retirement age, claim the survivor benefit. And full retirement age is somewhere between about 66 and a half and a 67 at this point. It, it'll be 67 for anyone born in 1960 or later. So no need to wait past full retirement age to claim a survivor benefit. Now, on the other hand, if your own benefit will be larger, you can claim your survivor benefit early, as early as age 60, actually, not 62. And then when you reach 70, then you can claim your own worker benefit and get those delay credits on your own worker benefit. So that would be the, the way to approach this, but I'm going kind of beyond the original question. <laughs> the original question is, no, if you if you're waiting till 70, but you pass away before 70, the survivor benefit is linked to what your benefit would have been at the age you pass away. You, you can't, there's no way to, to get further delay credits out of that. Now, this occurs even if you put your hand on the Bible and tell the, uh, the Social Security people that I swear I was going to, my, my <laughs> husband was going to wait until 70 to claim. Right. Doesn't, doesn't yeah, they're, they're not going to listen to you. <laughs> All right. There, there's nothing that can be done in that scenario. All right. Hey, did you know Wade's updated the retirement planning guidebook for 2024? In addition to updating the numbers used throughout the book, We've reworked the tax planning discussion. You can get the updated version on Amazon or your preferred bookstore. And to celebrate this update, Wade will be hosting a webinar, How to Create Tax-Efficient Retirement Distributions, on Monday, February 5th at 2 Eastern. Admittedly, not many people celebrate by talking about distribution strategies in retirement, but if you do, you're definitely one of us. For more information and to reserve your spot, go to resaprofile.com slash podcast. Again, that's resaprofile.com slash podcast. See you there. All right. Uh, next related question here is, the current federal tax rates are scheduled to return to their higher 2017 rates starting in January the 1st, 2026. If Congress does nothing... <laughs> 
Leave it right there, right? If Congress does, <laughs> if Congress does nothing, comma, they will revert to the higher 2017 rates. With the current U.S. national debt of approximately 34 trillion, do you think Congress will do nothing and let the rates revert back to the higher 2017 rates to help pay down the national debt? Uh, I'll start this off, Wade, and and you could sort of add to it here, but. I mean, the caveat is with the current U.S. national debt of approximately $34 trillion and things like that, you know, as, as a general matter, I don't, we don't try to guess what they're going to do based on the, the debt being so high and, and things along those lines. Listen, we, we all can read those numbers. We all understand them. But when making decisions, we just go with what the law says. You know, if the law changes, fine. But I, 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 I think a better strategy is not to anticipate what's going to happen. I think you'll find out more times than not you were wrong or things you, know, you were directionally right, but not you know in terms of magnitude, maybe off. You know, there's so many variables that can still play into it that we don't get into that game. I, I, I mean, you just take whatever the law says, and that's what that's what you put into your Excel sheets when you're trying to figure out what your next move should be. Mm-hmm. Wait. Yeah, that's what I use in all my analysis and discussion of tax planning and tax efficient retirement distributions. I assume current law, which is current law in 2026, the tax rates will change. The, the 12% bracket will become 15% like it was in 2017 and before. The uh, 22% bracket will become 25% and so on and so forth. And so that is a more conservative assumption as well, because it's it's building in this idea that tax rates will be increased, not due to any action, but due to, due to that's what the current law is. And in that regard, it does, if you believe that current law will remain as it is, it creates the opportunity that in 2024 and 2025, there may be some unique chances to do Roth conversions or other strategies to realize taxes before those tax rates are set to increase. Now, there could be other opinions about this. Someone could just say, well, right now, today's tax schedule is what I want to assume forever into the future. Uh, you can make an argument for that. But I, I do agree with Alex that, no, it's you have to go by current law. And current law is we'll have higher tax rates in 2026. Well, and, and just to say, you don't have to do anything. That's just what we read. <laughs> that's just how we play it. You know, yeah. if you consider all of this a big game, that's just how we play it. We don't get into the, oh, it's $34 trillion, but if it's a Democratic Congress and president, it'll it'll continue. If it's a Republican, isn't that, it will, it's just my head will explode if, if I start thinking like that. And nine times out of ten, you know, it was wasted calories. Uh Next question. You've thoroughly convinced me of the value of lifetime income protection through delayed Social Security and annuities. Good job, Wade. (laughs) Uh, The question I have is how to right-size the annuity. Should one aim to to have one able with Social Security to fund all of the projected longevity expenses? Or is it okay to have only a set percentage of those expenses guaranteed and leave the rest to the investment portfolio? I like this question a lot. I'll let you uh, kick it off, Wade. 
Yeah. And, and so the question is really just, do you want to have 100% of your longevity expenses or essential expenses covered with reliable income? If And this is probably your more income protection if we were able to convince you <laughs> that the value of lifetime income protections or have, and that's just longevity because your overall retirement budget is longevity plus lifestyle, essential plus discretionary. Yeah. By using longevity, you mean essential expenses, just essential to be clear. Expenses. Now we're just, when we, with the RISA, we're implicitly assuming that you would seek to cover 100% of your essential expenses with reliable income sources. Uh, so that that's the basic assumption, but it's not mandatory. And maybe even with a compromise, if the other individual's total returns is to only create reliable income for a portion of the longevity expenses, you definitely have flexibility. But the the basic assumption is you would be seeking to cover 100% of your longevity or essential expenses with reliable income, such as pensions, social security, annuities, bond letters, and the like. Yeah. What I, what I would add to that is I, I think sometimes, I don't think the the first question, the couple with the first question that they're sitting on $10 million in assets, look, life is good, right? But I, I And so they could potentially, they have a budget that they can spend probably enough to, to cover their nut. But I, I think what happens, ideally, you'd like to do 100% because that allows you the flexibility to go all in on the, on the what's it called, on the discretionary and, you know, match it with a, a more aggressive investment portfolio. And you have the comfort of knowing that you have liquidity because of the income that's coming in. But the I, I think the greater reality is a lot of people just simply can't fund a private pension. You know, sure, there's Social Security, and that may cover, I'm just making it up, 30% of your essential expenses. But you may not be able to buy uh, an annuity or some sort of contractual income for the remaining 70%, right? And so where are you? What, what should you strive? What's the next best thing, if you will? You know, you read some articles. There is no, there is no standard, like, up from the mountaintop answer. But there are some really good academics that we respect. And, you know, the first one that comes to mind is Moshe Milevsky. He's always shooting at around like 70%, you know, as, as a good target to hit from a minimum standpoint. So, you know, try to get as much as you can to that, if not. And, you know, the caveat is I don't want this to be a let them eat cake because some people may not even be able to do that. But if you're thinking about it in those terms, obviously 100, but if that's not realistic and if that's not your style, you should get a healthy slug. Uh, you know, I, I think having 70 is, is a good number. But again, that's probably telling you more about my baggage than than yours. So there, there it is. Yeah, and if you've used our funded ratio tool at Retirement Researcher, uh, the your kind of the idea is you want 100% fundedness for reliable income, but with what Alex is describing, you would actually allow yourself to be underfunded <laughs> with respect to reliable income. And, that's not usually how we explain the, the income. Protection. No, I don't. I, I'm, I'm just no, no, no. I, I, I just I'm, I'm coming at it from the standpoint of if you don't have enough money, and I think a mm -hmm. lot of people may just simply don't have enough money to cover mm -hmm. it. So mm -hmm. at what point is it like, you know, below this number? I think you're really kind of, you know, I, I would feel uncomfortable myself. But you're not saying if you don't have enough money you should just invest it and hope for the best you're just saying no 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 not have at all money to, yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. okay exactly you're, exactly you're no, no. Overall for retirement. yeah yeah yeah. i'm not <laughs> saying buy a lottery ticket if you can't do it and hope for the best no 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 i'm just saying realistically i don't want people to feel bad thinking i can't get to 100 percent 
you know, this is a failure. No, you get what you can. But, you know, I, I, I don't think realistically the average American is going to be able to pay 100%, you know, cover 100% of their essential expenses. Do you? I don't see that happening. Well, for the, I think the average American, probably Social Security would be sufficient to cover essential expenses. But uh, you think? listeners of this podcast may be in a different <laughs> yeah, boat. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that then. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there's, there's some comments there, but, uh, you know, no, no They need. may be in a yacht. A yacht, yeah, actually. Exactly. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, look, when you go, when the, sometimes people say Social Security is enough to cover you. Yeah, because like what I said earlier, I mean, there, there are studies that say, well, so for people in the lowest SES bracket, the replacement ratio on Social Security is very high. And so it's easy for people to say, well, they're good. They're, they're covered. Social Security can, can get them there. But all, all that's saying is these people are living you know, you know, they're struggling, but they've struggled all their life. So if they continue to struggle in retirement, they don't know any better. So, hey, we're good. It's kind of, to me, I think that's, that's kind of, you know, sometimes where, where those kind of answers get at, which I don't necessarily subscribe to. If we can like help, you know, we should in, in, in some manner. But again, that, that deviates from the Q&A. Uh, on the next one, what's the, you want to read that one? That one's a little long and I'm going to fumble it. Yeah, and the I realized the printout I made cut off the right maybe ten percent of the words, but I, I should be able to <laughs> approximate. Oh, I can I can read it then. No, I have it. I have it on my computer. I'll read it. I'll read it. It's a long one. <laughs> All right, I, I'll, I'll read it. Uh, I am sold on fixed income annuities, not annuitized in parentheses, as an alternate. So probably fixed index yeah. annuities is what they. Yeah, 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 you're right. Fixed index annuities as an alternate approach to bonds for safe retirement income. I ran this approach by my investment advisor who works at a major investment non-insurance firm, like a Morgan Stanley or something like that. And they said, FIAs are garbage, in quotes. We'll get hit by too many fees, may not lose money, but will give up too much upside, and they they rarely deliver what is promised. Is this an example of channel conflict, and then i.e. conflict of interest, putting down products, that the salesperson doesn't get commission or investment advisor fees on? Or am I truly missing something, guys? Is there no free lunch? Are there any no-fee fixed annuities that are not garbage and from your unbiased opinion might provide safe retiree income source given the right situation? Love the show and the banter back and forth before you get into the meat of the show. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, is indicated. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I would say... This this is not an example of channel conflict. I think it's an example of stupidity on the part of your advisor. <laughs> Honestly, that's just lazy thinking. And it's it's somebody, you know, giving you a half-ass answer because they don't want to do the work. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, why don't you get it all, you know, start the momentum and, and I can add to that. Hey, did you know Wade's updated the retirement planning guidebook for 2024? In addition to updating the numbers used throughout the book, we've reworked the tax planning discussion. You can get the updated version on Amazon or your preferred bookstore. And to celebrate this update, Wade will be hosting a webinar, How to Create Tax-Efficient Retirement Distributions, on Monday, February 5th at 2 Eastern. 
Admittedly, not many people celebrate by talking about distribution strategies in retirement, but if you do, you're definitely one of us. For more information and to reserve your spot, go to resaprofile.com slash podcast. Again, that's resaprofile.com slash podcast. See you there. Yeah, just that expression, giving up too much of the upside. Uh, it's important to not think of these as a stock alternative, but rather as a bond alternative. And so, yeah, you're not going to get the full upside of the stock market, but hopefully you're not replacing your stocks with fixed index annuities. It, it's meant to be thought about more as you're replacing bonds with fixed index annuities. And then whether or not you actually may be getting more, <laughs> a higher average return than you could through bonds, that would that's definitely a possibility. Uh, in, in terms of the fees, that's where this advisor may not really kind of understand what they're talking about, because there aren't, I mean, it's not that there's no fees. Sometimes they're marketed as being no fees with fixed index annuities, but there's not an external fee. It's a, a spread product. The, it's just like a checking account where the idea is the insurance company invests your money and is able to earn more on it than they pay out to you. Uh, and that's how they, they make money when they can quote unquote say there's no fee, but there's not a fee, this advisor may be confusing variable annuities with fixed index annuities if they talk about there being high fees. There are surrender charges potentially, but if you're holding the annuity as a long-term uh, proposition, which you should be, it's not meant to be a short-term investment, uh, you don't ever have to pay those surrender charges. And so you're really not paying fees. The simple idea is if it's linked to the S&P 500 price returns, uh, dividends excluded because it's based on financial derivatives, there'll be a floor and a cap. Suppose the, the floor is 0%. Suppose the cap is 8%. It means if the S&P, once you take dividends out, once the S&P price return is determined, if, it were, if the market was down, you get 0%. If the market was up between 0 and 8%, you get the full gain at that point. Again, not with dividends, but you get the full price return. If the market was up more than 8%, you would be capped it and you get an 8% interest for the pay uh, payment for the year. Now, with that kind of structure, that can be competitive with bonds. And that's really what they should be compared to. It's not getting the full upside of the stock market for sure, but it's, it's potentially giving you a return that's competitive with bonds. And, and you do also get the tax deferral where you're not paying on those gains or interest credited until you take out of the annuity, which can be another way to help get a little bit of boost over taxable bonds, which every year you're paying tax taxes on the interest earned. And, and so at the end of the day, you want to compare that to other bond options. And yeah, I, I think there are, there are no fee. I mean, sorry, no fee is not the right term here. There are no commission versions of fixed index annuities, which can allow for even higher caps relative to commission-based. And so there are some competitive options out there and definitely it deserves to be an option that people look at, especially without living benefits. So just for the underlying structured return could be something to look at in the short-term buckets with time segmentation. And then if you do want to add a lifetime income benefit, now that, that's an optional benefit. There is a fee for the optional lifetime income benefit, but there's also a lifetime income benefit associated with that fee. And that can be another option to look at for people in income protection that are seeking a lifetime income source. 
There you go. That's the clean answer. Here's the, the dirty answer. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think something for listeners to, to, to point out, which I think is key. Uh, Findex, fin, fixed index annuity, that's not annuitized. So if it was annuitized, which at this point, I'm not even sure this advisor is picking up on all these things. Uh, effectively, your answer still stands. If it, if it is annuitized, and there's an extra fee for that part of the annuitization. Well, because it, it's yeah, effectively, that, but then it just becomes an immediate yeah. annuity, and very few yeah, people there you go. ever annuitize. No, but what I'm getting at is it's just, you know, it's, it's an insurance product is ultimately what I'm getting at. It's just a, a reverse life insurance product, and that's how it should be presented, not as an investment alternative, although the bonds is compelling. I, I But what gets me here is philosophically. This is the response that you received. Your advisor could be a nice person. I'm not, you know, uh, it's, it's, oh, controlling for this person being a nice person or not. I don't like that answer that's giving to a client because there's there's two things. At 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 best, the person is a retirement income dilettante, which is not a good outcome. At worst, that person doesn't care where you're coming from, and it's just jamming into you what they think that you should do because that's what they would do. They're not taking into consideration the whole reason why we created the RISA, which is how do you want to source retirement income and let's work around that. Because again, the underlying assumption is there are many credible strategies to get it right. It's not just the total return and that's it, you know, which is what I'm going to assume this person is pushing to some extent. And and I, I think that's the problem with this industry to some extent is that there are many credible solutions. If you as a professional discount something and then just because it doesn't fit your business model and then you, the way you discount it is just by saying, oh, that's full of crap, that's garbage, it's expensive, uh, you don't get what they promised you, whatever, whatever. I think that's lazy thinking, 100% lazy thinking and it doesn't get you anywhere at the end of the day. The other piece is commission. You, you, added, you asked the question, is there a fee on the option? Listen, we, we do McLean Asset Management. We're managing principles of McLean Asset Management. So we were a fee-only shop for a long time, you know, 20 years. You know, we started introducing insurance products simply because of the writings that we've done. And by we, I mean Wade, where it shows this is credible. So we, as opposed to always referring it out, we just took it in-house. So we can balance both of them. And I can say, hand over my heart, one is not inherently better than the other. At the end of the day, is what outcome is it solving for and is, does it do it efficiently? Because what the fee-only people won't say is, okay, here's a commission product and you're paying these huge fees you know, for the transaction, but you can make a strong case that paying a one-time commission is much cheaper than paying an advisor 1% for that earmarked amount of assets over 10 years, over 15 years, over something like that. So I... I you know, I think that's a game that that's played a lot from a headline standpoint. But if you dig a little deeper, it really is what product is being offered and does it effectively and efficiently solve what you're looking for. But in terms of your advisor, I look, I, I think that's part of the problem with the industry, not part of the solution, not the, the totality of his or her advice. But this particular point of view, I do quarrel with. Yeah, I quarrel with you, sir. Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that our Roman Juliet? <laughs> I don't know. A, a rose by any other name smells smells sweet, right? Or whatever. Uh, all right, Starcross lover. Uh, why don't you read the the last question here? 
Yeah, okay. So so 20 years ago in the financial industry, retiring with a house paid off was strongly recommended. We have Dave Ramsey. <laughs> where I, um, where I, I don't we have should, all the we words. Have a sound of, we should have a sound effect every time his name comes up. There's something like a clown's horn or, or something like that. <laughs> yes. Dave Ramsey uh, recommends getting a 15-year mortgage and then paying off, I guess, as fast as possible. On the other hand, Rick Edelstein, or Edelman uh, says to always carry a 30-year loan. How's come, how come paying off a mortgage at retirement is not talked about the same, or be, before retirement is not talked about the same as it was in the past? Okay, so, so basically, <laughs> do, you, do you want to maintain your mortgage for as long as possible, or do you want to get it paid off? And in particular, would you, do you want to enter retirement still having to make mortgage payments or would you like to have that paid off before entering retirement? I think is a nice way to summarize that. I think there's either right, there's no right or wrong. It's it's just goes back to what your style is. I mean, and similar to the other one about discounting fixed index annuities. I, I think in the defense of these two folks, I think it's a matter of style, right? You want to maybe dig into that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that right. The if you're probability based, you're more likely to want to carry that mortgage because you view it as, well, my investments will earn a greater return that I'm paying on the mortgage, and so really the the mortgage is a way to borrow to invest in the market. So it's it's kind of like a negative bond where it's letting you accelerate and invest more by having that mortgage in place. And if you're probability based, you're kind of comfortable thinking that that's going to pay off for you. It will probably be the case that your portfolio will earn more than you're paying an in interest on the mortgage. So you're, you're getting an extra boost from that. Uh, if you're safety first, you're not going to be as comfortable with that approach. You, you feel more comfort having the mortgage paid off so that you're not leveraged. And in retirement, you don't want to have those fixed mortgage payments in the early retirement years, which actually increase sequence of returns risk because it requires a higher withdrawal rate when you're the most vulnerable to market volatility. And so there's more of a case of let's get this paid off, not have to worry about it, not have this fixed expense looming over our retirement. Now, one kind of caveat to that was if you got a mortgage five, 10 years ago, and it's like three and a half percent mortgage rate right now, you can pretty easily get safe short-term treasury bills or other kind of fixed income assets that will allow you to earn more than the mortgage rate. So you may want to, instead of just simply paying off the mortgage, you may want to keep money in a short-term fixed income asset that's yielding more than the mortgage rate and give yourself a little bit of extra boost from that. But if you're thinking more broadly about, no, I just want a more diversified investment portfolio, I believe stocks will grow faster than the mortgage interest payments. And, and so let's leverage the, the mortgage to invest more in the stock market. Whether or not you're comfortable with that really does depend on whether you're more probability-based or more safety-first. That's, that's a good point. And I, I think this goes – the flip side to that is obviously if, you're, if your mortgage is higher than what the bonds are yielding, you may think about like speeding up paying off your mortgage, you know, all, all things being equal. But the, the, the other way to look at this, and I'm going to sort of put my Dave Ramsey hat on and Rick Edelman hat on – the end of the day, I, th I think Dave Ramsey speaks to uh, an investor that's in the process of like getting out of debt and things along those lines, like financial budgeting. So, and, and being very fiscally disciplined. 
because there's not a lot of wiggle room and usually folks have gotten into trouble with debt, right? And so I can totally see why Dave Ramsey would find it prudent to instill a behavior in which they're paying off loans and not having debt because of what may have happened previously to his average listener, if you will, right? Now, that's just me making assumptions that may not be tenable, but that's the vibe I get from the the audience that he has. It's it's a most common denominator audience of Americans that are struggling getting out of debt, right? Rick Edelman speaks more to the mass affluent. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, let's just say 250,000 of investable assets and all, right? So they have a lot more flexibility. They're probably not dealing as much with debt reduction or managing those basic finances. So I can see why he would say something along the lines of, Hey, you know what? Stocks for the long run, gun it, and uh, just be paying this off. It's okay to carry this debt because over a thirty-year horizon, you'll probably make more from the portfolio than you would have, you know, than you would have otherwise. I, I, I think there's there's something to that, Wade, in terms of their advice is driven by who their audience members are as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's in the context of, of Dave Ramsey is not necessarily talking about. F- getting the mortgage paid off before retirement specifically because it's just getting the not wanting to have debt as a more general concept. Yeah. And yeah. I can totally see that. Uh, and that, that concludes this Q and a we're 42 minutes in and we did one more question. I know we'd go over. So uh, in the interest of parsimony, we'll, we'll cut it there. What do you think? Wade? Sounds good. And, and we'll continue with more of your questions in the next episode. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Catch you next week on Retire with Style. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.